Hey everyone, this year the American Craft Spirits Association is celebrating its 10th anniversary. To kick off the celebration, this podcast is part of a special series of conversations with some of ACSA's founders and first board members. Some of these guests will also be appearing at a Founders Forum at ACSA's 10th Anniversary Distillers Convention and Vendor Trade Show this February 10th in Portland, Oregon. Visit AmericanCraftSpirits.org to learn more. Thanks. I, I, I always joke, and, but, I, but it's true. Like I was elected to the ACSA board with the fewest votes anybody will ever get to be elected to the board. Right? So I was the least likely person to ever be doing this interview you know, 10 years later or whatever it is. From the American Craft Spirits Association and Craft Spirits Magazine, this is the Craft Spirits Podcast. I'm John Page, and today on the program, Thomas Mooney. Tom was ACSA's inaugural president, and he's a founder and CEO of Portland, Oregon-based Westward Whiskey. Tom has led the company through an extended period of growth, expansion, and transition, previously as House Spirits Distillery, which was a founding member of ACSA, and more recently as Westward Whiskey. Under his leadership, the company transformed its original flagship product, Aviation American Gin, from a beloved regional brand into a leading American craft gin before selling it to Davos Brands in 2016. Tom recently joined me and Jeff Cialetti for a conversation about his somewhat reluctant path to becoming ACSA's first president and the evolution of Westward. To kick things off, we asked Tom to discuss his earliest memories of ACSA. Uh, well, I, mean, I feel like I've been involved in our industry for a long time, although a lot of that was ex- as a consumer. Um, I, I really came into the industry around 2009 when I met Christian Krogstad, who would eventually become my partner. and. And that, and the way this leads to ACSA is, you know, we both realized very early on that that there were structural challenges in in our industry that would make it harder for an independent small producer to thrive uh, than in you know most industries we were familiar with, including the rest of the beverage alcohol world. So we we had you know contacts who who had originally been doing some lobbying work around federal excise tax, which was then you know one of the biggest of those hurdles. Um, Ted Huber, Ralph Lorenzo. and and so through through a social acquaintance with them or, or a peer relationship with them, uh, we we were eventually asked to be part of the group that founded, ACSA. So we we were with them and others, you know, one of the the original founders of the association. Again, very much at that time focused on the federal excise tax issue, but but recognizing that there would be, you know, many, many similar issues along the way. Uh, and, and that was the beginning. So this would have been maybe around 2011, the first conversations. That there had already been a lot of work done before, you know, I ever became involved, 
uh, but that had happened outside of the scope of what became ACSA. Uh, so, so officially, I suppose I I became involved with ACSA as a founder, and then you know as a candidate for for the first board when we had elections uh, back in two thousand fourteen. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> and um, you know, you you previously had some non-ALK experience. Um, I remember, was it, you were at Fiji, wasn't it? Or, or... Yeah, yeah, that's right. I would, you know, as years have passed, I reflect back on that time and, and you know, I kind of feel differently about it retrospectively. But I, I came into the spirits industry very much feeling like, you know, the new kid and someone who has a lot less experience than, than my peers and, you know, a lot of the the really wonderful people who have built this industry. Uh, but in terms of our work with ACSA, you know, I had really already done a lot of what, you know, I now realize lay in the future, right? I, I was at Fiji Water for several years. Uh, while I was there, you know, I was involved in, in a number of instances of venture finance first, you know, helping the current owner of the company acquire the company later, you know, making some bolt-on acquisitions. And so the the finance part of, of growing a beverage business, you know, is something I'd already had experience with. Uh, we went to market with a lot of the same distributors that, you know, we use now and that a lot of our peers in craft spirits use now. So, so all of that three-tier system, you know, even though not mandated in bottled water was a practical reality for us. And, and I was already working with uh, actually a lot of our current distributors. So I brought that experience. We had a DTC business. Uh, so who knew that would be a thing? Uh, and um, so that, that was good. And then I represented Fiji Water at the International Bottled Water Association. Uh, so I had also had some trade association experience Again, different industry, but uh, but a similar kind of context of working with people who are competitors the rest of the year as colleagues you know, in order to make the landscape of the industry better. So, uh, again, in hindsight, you know, those all turned out to be really valuable building blocks to the experience that I brought, not just you know to Westward, but but to our industry, and and they've helped me contribute through ACSA over the years. I'm curious to know uh, just what what kind of spirits you were drinking at that time, you know, before you got involved with, with Christian and with Westward, like what what were the things that you were drinking at that time that, that got you excited? Because obviously it wasn't the landscape now where there's, you know, 2,600 craft distilleries across the country. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I always had a love for whiskey and... And it's a, this will seem like a non sequitur, but I, I grew up in Guatemala. And while that may feel like the wrong part of the world, uh, it actually is, you know, like all of Latin America, you know, a really big Scotch whiskey market. And so so the, the beverage alcohol I came of age with was, was whiskey and specifically Scotch. And, uh, and so I, I always loved it. And then... You know, even at Fiji, it, it's kind of funny in hindsight, but 
I was the whiskey nerd at Fiji who would do whiskey tastings for everybody at the company, you know, on the Friday afternoon at the office. And I just always had this, this love for it. And, you know, back then, and I, my, my wife always thought I was crazy. And now I've confirmed it over the last 10 years, but I, I would tell her that, you know, someday when I retired from having a real job, I would really love to be a whiskey distiller. And, you know, we could just move somewhere and have a distillery on a farm. And wouldn't that be awesome? And she's more of a city person, so that didn't seem that awesome. But, um, but you know, she, I guess she never thought I would really do it. And then I doubled down on that by not waiting to retire from a real job, but actually leaving that job and, and doing what I've been doing for more than a decade now. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and when um you know when you came into the spirits industry and you know at the time obviously there were a lot of legislative and regulatory hills to climb for the spirits industry uh were you ever like what the hell have i gotten myself into at that point oh every day and that hasn't stopped <laughs> uh but i but a lot's been accomplished though so i i mean we're right when we I mean, fortunately, when we look back over the last decade, I mean, we, we've accomplished things that we're very proud of, but, you know, that's only when you take a breath and look back, right? Um, we spend most of our time looking forward, and <laughs> and when you look forward, you know, you see nothing but, but the challenges, but we can overcome them. And, you know, at what point did you decide on the kind of the full company branding shifting over to Westwood Whiskey? I mean, you started out as House Spirits and then, you know, when Westwood Whiskey kind of became your flagship, uh, you know, at what point did you say this is who we want our identity to be? The That thought came early on uh, because, you know, I felt that it's building a brand successfully is a miracle, right? I mean, it, you can do everything right and work really hard over a long period of time and not get to where you wanted to go. Uh, so if building one brand is a miracle, building two brands concurrently is impossible. And, and so by having our company have one name that we were promoting and our flagship product have a different name that had nothing to do with the company name and we were also promoting it just meant that that you know, we were really building two brands at the same time and we were spending way too much time at the beginning of every customer meeting explaining like why the company's called this but the product is called that and it, it just it was messy and and i think but, but I, I guess if I take a step back from that, that was only so because you know, at some point along the way, we decided that you know, for the same reasons that we didn't want to be a house, no pun intended, of brands because we couldn't afford that. We, we needed to really focus on a brand that we could grow successfully. And, and so in, in the first few years of House Spirits, uh, we had, I think, more than 20 different products in at least eight different spirits categories. And 
And what tied it all together was the name of the company. But, you know, as we launched Aviation American Gin, as, you know, Christian brought kind of his eponymous Aquavit to market, uh, as we launched, you know, other things, it, it, it just, you know, we realized we couldn't succeed at doing all of these things all at the same time. And, you know, we really needed to focus on one thing. And, and so over the course of more than 10 years, that one thing is really two things, because in 2011, the decision we made was, you know, we're, we're either going to make it or break it on aviation. And if we can grow Aviation American Gin into a real brand, then, you know, either get it to a size where, you know, it's financially sustainable or, or sell the brand, then, you know, that's a win. And, and so we, you know, we're happily able to do that, but, but then along the way, we remembered that the thing we really love the most is whiskey. And, you know, we'd started making whiskey from the beginning, which is now almost 20 years ago. Uh, but even then, you know, we started producing what is now you know, the Westward whiskey that's in the market while the world still knew us for aviation, because even then we didn't think we could really afford to grow two brands at the same time. So we we sold aviation because it was the right time, but we also sold aviation because that was what turned the page to if the chapter we'd always been waiting to get to, which is the one where we build, you know, a really great enduring American whiskey brand. Uh, we we never tried to do both things at the same time. Would that be in line with the sort of advice you would give to? Uh, a new startup distillery, you know, think about who, think about your brand when you're thinking about your company. Would that be something you would say kind of in hindsight? Would that be something you'd advise for future people? A absolutely. And, and I would say, I mean, along those lines, I, I would say, you know, even though we are producers, when, you know, when we think of our business, and I would encourage anybody to do this, whether they've been in business for 50 years or are starting this year, that you need to start from the market back, you know, from the consumer, because ultimately the brand, the trademark belongs to you, the brand belongs to them. And, and you really need to understand who you're doing this for and what they're gonna be excited about. And, and to make every decision, you know, going all the way back to production, not based on you know what I feel like doing today, but but based on what the consumer who keeps the brand in business, who again I, I would say owns the brand really wants, and and so it it I think that in in a community of makers, too often we we focus on the excitement of producing great things, uh, and and probably not enough on you know, who we're making it for, what they really want, how to reach them, how to, you know, how they'll ever find out we exist in the first place. Uh, because as it might be expensive to build a distillery and it might be expensive to build the inventory, but that's all really cheap compared to building a brand. Uh, and, and the cost of building a brand, you know, increases exponentially if, if there isn't that focus and understanding on, you know, what the consumer really wants. Now, back to the kind of early days of ACSA, are there any uh, stories from those 
early first couple of years that uh, stand out in your mind? Um, things that are safe for work, I guess they would you would want to share. Uh, what a frightening question. <laughs> I mean, I you know I rarely self-edit, but you know one one has to have a survival instinct. Um, it was look, it was a lot of fun. I mean, the I I I always joke and but I but it's true. Like I was elected to the ACSA board with the fewest votes anybody will ever get to be elected to the board. Right, so I was the least likely person to ever be doing this interview, you know, 10 years later or whatever it is. And, and yeah, in large part, it was because I was so new to the industry, but I, I really felt I had something to offer, but, but I mean, it was funny, right? We, I, we have, <laughs> I, I tied for last place of the, you know, who got onto the board with somebody else. And we, we had that runoff and, and I mean, it was like single digit votes, right? So, so I feel that I've overachieved. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny, because I was going to ask you, like, you know, what motivated you to put your your name in, uh, you know, as, as the first president? And, and then I guess also, as we approach another election for ACSA, what kind of qualities do you think someone needs now uh, to be a good president? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, again, I, I, you know, for the record, even though, you know, I may have gotten eight votes, I do feel like I was qualified and prepared for the job and motivated to do it well, but, you know, still. Uh, so the, I guess to answer your first question, the, and, and this can be kind of funny story number two, the, we had the first meeting of, you know, the newly elected directors in Denver, and we, most of us knew each other a little bit socially. I guess some knew each other better, but for the most part, it was who you had at the table were people we'd all heard of each other. Some of us had met each other in the past. For the most part, I mean, there was tons of respect, but not a whole lot of familiarity. And so so everybody was a little shy. And that, that's pretty funny because you anybody who's been to an ACSA board meeting any time in recent history wouldn't imagine a shy group of people sitting around the table, you know, not wanting to be pushy and not wanting to come across the wrong way, but that's because we've all grown up together. Uh, but back then, you know, it was shy. And so, so we, for example, got to the part where our bylaws required that we elect three officers, uh, a president, a vice president, and a secretary and treasurer. And and the I think it was Penn, I guess, you know, just asked you know, at this point there was no president, so there was nobody and there was no CEO in the, you know, in terms of you know how Margie leads the organization. So Penn was helping us facilitate this. And you know, the question was, you know, raise your hand if you're interested in being an officer. And exactly three of us raised our hand. And so that was good because we needed three officers, but it didn't really help resolve who was going to do which part. And so, so the <laughs> everybody was trying to be so polite that that nobody even wanted to debate like who should be president and who should be whatever. And so, so the newly elected directors instructed the three of us, so Rory, Ted, and me, to quote 
go to the bar, drink whiskey, and decide who's going to do what, and then report <laughs> back. Uh, and so we, we, you know, we take orders well. So we went to the bar, we ordered whiskey, and we discussed how we were going to split this up. Uh, and you know, at that point, we Rory was going to be president, Ted was going to be vice president, and I was going to be secretary treasurer. Uh, and then over the course of the next 24 hours, uh, Rory was not able in the end to, to assume that role. Uh, and so about 30 minutes before the newly elected president gave the speech to the convention, we decided that would be me. Uh, and so I remember be, I, I was with Ted next to the stage and I told Ted it should be him. And then Ted told me it should be me. <laughs> uh, and then you know, Ted finally said, look, I mean, I'm, I'm involved in the Discus Craft Advisory Council in, in a leadership role. And I think it would be a little weird for me to have a similar leadership role here. It's good to have some checks and balances, and it really needs to be you. Uh, and so I wrote some notes and gave a speech. It was pretty good, too. I was uh, going to say, do you remember that, or is that all just one big flash? Um, I both. I mean, I I think a lot of it was, I mean, I, I wanted to introduce myself to a group of people who probably knew me less well than others. And, uh, and mostly I, you know, I wanted to commit to them that, you know, I was going to do the work that needed to get done to move this forward and to to position it to be a sustainable organization and to recruit everybody's help in, in doing that. So yeah, it turned out all right. I, I mean, things are obviously a lot less, I guess we'll say ad hoc now than they were then. Would yeah. you have envisioned that a decade ago that where we would be now as an organization? I mean, I, I, I felt that we had the potential to be as good as we are now. Uh, otherwise, I mean, I wouldn't have basically left my life as I knew it and, and devoted the time I did to, to helping us move this forward. Uh, so I knew we could do it. And, uh, and so I guess if you said, am I surprised? No, because we've always had it in us. Uh, now, was it likely? <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but but I mean, ultimately, you know, it it wasn't going to be anything in its own right. It was going to be whatever we made of it. And I'm I'm really proud of what we accomplished over the first two years, which ended up being my term as president. Uh, I am you know immensely impressed by you know everybody who has followed in uh, on the board as presidents and other leadership roles. Uh, I do think the, the most important moment in the history of ACSA wasn't you know that first election. It wasn't Ted convincing me to be president 20 minutes before I had to give a speech. Uh, it was finding Margie and bringing her on board and finding a way for her to stay because Ultimately, the, the reason ACSA is the professional organization that it is and, and the effective organization that it is um, has nothing to do with us. I mean, we, we're the cast members who support her. It's 
it's really her leadership and, and what she's done ever since she joined. So that day, I don't remember the date, but it was you know at King County, Nicole Boston hosted and Steve Johnson came down and you know we met Margie and found a way to bring her on board. And I mean, again, no, no disrespect toward the rest of us, but like this wouldn't be what it is without her. Well, I'm, I'm, she would be definitely happy to hear that. And, yeah. um, you know, we're certainly, you know, we certainly agree because she hired both of us. So. There you go. <laughs> she has a good eye for talent. Yeah. Among other things. Tom, um, what, what would you say, what, what would you say to a, a craft distillery that's uh, not a member of ACSA and they're, they're on the fence about whether or not they should join? I mean, one that that we we are an industry of doers and that that it we're at our best when more of us are involved in shaping what that future looks like and you know we're kind of going back to the old adage that if, if you're not at the table you're on the menu and so so you want to be involved in shaping what this is going to be because most likely you've made a big bet and a major sacrifice to become a distiller and that that risk you've taken and that sacrifice you're putting into it deserves you know the best conditions for for it to play out favorably and unlike a lot of parts of our lives we we really do get to shape what that landscape is what those conditions are what those priorities are but we can only do it by being involved and any thoughts or hopes for the next 10 years? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the most important, the most, I think the most important thing for ACSA over the next 10 years is, is to evolve our reason for being, right? And, and I think if, if we go back to why ACSA happened in the first place, it was 100% focused on FET parity and, and the fact that you know, excise tax as it existed made it almost impossible for a small business to thrive. We had such a big win in that area uh, that I, I remember maybe two weeks after that, you know, I spoke with Margie about kind of the challenges we would face next because we had just lost our center of gravity. Right. The thing that brought us together and kept us together all those years was gone. It was gone for the best of reasons, right? We won, but but it was gone. And so we we needed to find new priorities and you know new new principles to organize around that would keep us engaged and moving forward for you know the next 10 years. I I think we have it. I mean, I guess if you ask a hundred of us, you might get a hundred different answers, but but that that's now the organization's challenge that that we need to distill, no pun intended, all of that into some areas of focus that are the reason we're all going to show up and work hard for the next 10 years. Uh, I think market access is really that thing because every day that passes some other terrible thing happens that makes it difficult for independent brands to get to market. Uh, we're running out of great independent wholesalers. Uh, 
we still deal with all kinds of legislation that makes it difficult for us to get our products to market. So, so I, as a member, I, I hope that that'll be one of our priorities, but, but whatever they are, we, we need to be clear around what, you know, what we're going to get excited about and work really hard for over the next 10 or 20 years. Um, but I think we're doing it. That's our show for today. Thanks again to Tom Mooney for joining us. You can learn more about Westward at westwardwhiskey.com. We'll be back very soon with more conversations with ACSA founding members and early board members. Until then, thanks for listening and cheers.